We are in a summer sermon series called Devoted. It was taken out of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read it. It's a 10-part series where we're covering these things. Listen to this. The Word of God. You missed it, but it's online. Fellowship, the breaking of bread or Thanksgiving. Prayer, being filled with awe. Unity, last week. Generosity, this week. Hospitality, the week after next, because scattered Sunday next week. Worship, and then outreach and growth. That's where we're, that's where we're in this summer. Um, my name is Greg. I'm married to Sarah. I don't know if she's here right now, because my son had surgery on last Monday, and he's not doing so great. Then my other son thought he broke his foot the other day, jumping down a stairwell, and it's just a total comedy of errors, and I have some trunks on, and so that's just what my life looks like right now. Um, but I love this church. I've been here for a while. Um, and I get to teach every once in a while when Jason is desperate, I think. Um, so um, I'm super qualified to speak on generosity because I'm a stingy person. Uh, so let's just get that. Let's just get all of our cards out on the table right now. Um, I am a stingy person, and I am trying to learn, um, and I want to become a generous person. But I think I am a stingy person. Um, and so, all the things that I'm going to talk about this morning, which is not that much generosity, are just the stuff that I'm trying to live into, and that I've begun to taste little bits of God's goodness as I obey into that, or respond to him in that, or as I am moved by his promptings in his spirit, to live a life of loosing my life, my talents, my stuff in the direction of others instead of building up an encampment for myself because I have a scarcity orphan mindset. Um, so that's why I'm qualified. It's because I'm a hypocrite and because I'm incongruent and because I am a stingy person, okay? There you go. Uh, so, I mean, like last night, this is funny. Last night, I just was on my, I was, I was getting ready to go to sleep. I was like, you know what I need? I just need to see if there's a king-size mattress, a Tempur-Pedic that's brand new on Craigslist. I just need to see if that's happening right now out there so I can buy it. And so I'm going through, and there's not. But you know what there was? An easy-go golf cart from 1994. <laughs> and I have been wanting a golf cart since my vacation to the beach two years ago where the house came with a golf cart, and I was like, this is the way I should be living all the time, <laughs> is with a secondary, smaller vehicle. And this golf cart is $1,800 OBO which is, that is my language, or best offer is my language. One of the best negotiators I've ever met in my entire life. And, but you know what I didn't think when I saw that? I didn't think, man, I'm gonna talk this guy down to 1,200, maybe even $800, because he's desperate. If you're on Craigslist, you're desperate. And I'm like, and I'm gonna take this golf cart, and I'm gonna turn my neighborhood into an awesome golf cart neighborhood. We are nowhere near a golf course in my neighborhood. <laughs> and we don't have sidewalks. So it's just gonna be an on the road kind of situation. I didn't think, you know, if I have that much money, possibly, which I don't, my wife was mad at me for even looking at it, but if I have that much money to even think about this, I should just give that away. Did not have that thought. I just want to be super clear with you. Like, I think I'm a stingy person, but I want to become a generous person, and I want a golf cart. Um, so I'm going to read from you out of, out of Acts chapter 2, the, the source text for each of these 10 weeks where we're covering these different topics that mark 
um, the character, the disposition, the movement of the early church. Um, I want to read this source text just so we can be reminded of where it is. This is um, after, Pente- after Pentecost. So you got Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's appeared for a period of 40 days. He ascended to heaven. Ten more days happen, which gets us to the number 50, 50 days after the cross. And that's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes on this group of 120 believers in the upper room. They start speaking in other languages. The church grows like crazy. And then this is what it says about that growing church on the heels, like, you know, roughly two months after Jesus um, had died and ascended. They, this is um, Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. That's my verse for this week. Um, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you want to zoom in on what that looked like, if you just go over one page, if you just turn your Bible one page and you go to Acts chapter 4, and then you go to verse 32, this is just a little while later, and they zoom in a little bit more on the level of kind of radical um, communal living or generosity that, was, that had kind of swept up this church. And was one. Of, it's the same way like when... The reason John the Baptist came baptizing is because it was so necessary for people who were hearing that their sins were forgiven. There was such a joyful desire to respond to that that we as humans almost always need an action to go with our emotions or our heart's response. So baptism is such a perfect Ebenezer action to go with the response to the good news of Jesus. When, When Peter preaches and they're cut to the heart, And they go, what should we do? Right there in Acts chapter 2, he goes, repent and be baptized, all of you. There's always this beautiful way for our feet to have somewhere to go when our hearts realize how awesome Jesus is. Generosity is one of those things as well. It's It's one of these like bubbling up responses that we find time and time again in Scripture as people are responding to the, the provision, the liberality of God, the generous heart of God. Um... And so, you're, so I want to zoom in on it, though. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 32. So all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his or her possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Because... From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he or she had need. That's really awesome. Um, It's awesome. Um, And I don't live that way. I don't routinely just look at my my stuff and go, how can I give this away? I do at times... But as I was preparing for this, I just wanted to be really honest. Like, I, um, I know the ways, personally, 
to look generous or to, um, to get out of a real heart moment with an action that looks similar. So, and I've, I, I, as I was thinking about this, I was like, what are the things that I was like, they're hard for me to share? So a year and a half ago, my wife got me a new mountain bike, new to me, that is nice. So I now have two mountain bikes. I have my old mountain bike and I have my new mountain bike. And if someone came into town and they were like, oh my gosh, we're in town and my cousin's here. We want to go mountain biking. Could we borrow one of your, one of your bikes? I would say yes. And I would get my, my former bike. And that's the one that I would probably be wanting to share with them. This is my former bike. It's a good one, but it's not great. And it's because I'm worried about my new one getting broken. Or I'm worried about them doing something to it. And not like blah, 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 worried. Just, um, and I was thinking about that. I was like, gosh, they would go, thanks, Greg, for lending us your bike. But in reality, I could have offered them the best that I have. But it, that, would be, that would be a hurdle that I would need to jump over. And I think I'm getting to the point where I would do that. Um, I, another example, I, I, um, I like to fly fish, but I've always fly fished in my duck hunting neoprene waders because I just didn't want to buy another pair of waders. And one day at Sierra Trading Post, I found some amazing fly fishing waders on crazy sale. And I was like, this is it. Before I even really had them out of the box, one of my staff guys, Dylan. Dylan, are you here this morning? Dill? DJ? Nope, you never come to church anymore. Okay, cool. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. I think, he, I think he does still come to church. <laughs> Dylan calls me. He's like, hey. Um, do you have any fly fishing waders I could borrow? They're like not even out of the box yet. And I was like, oh, I heard myself say out loud, I have duck hunting waders you can borrow. But when he came over, I made myself unbox them and be like, and just present them to him. <laughs> and I was like, just, you know, don't, don't change clothes on the gravel parking lot because it'll put a hole in the booties and you'll ruin them. And I'm a stingy person, but I'm trying to obey Jesus towards becoming someone who is set free. Um, I don't want to love my stuff. Um, I'll tell you why in just a second. The most, the most profound thing that I feel like I came up with as I was, or that I feel like I stumbled across as I was just percolating on generosity um, as a mark of the early church, as a mark of heaven, and as an invitation and a mark of the Holy Spirit abiding in me, was this, um, that living generously will change you because it is the way of Jesus. Living generously will change me because it is the way of Jesus. And living generously will change others because it is so radically different than the way of the world. So here's what I was thinking of. The way of the world or the way of empire or the way of hell is mine. Mine. You can see it in the temptation of Jesus when in Luke 4, if you want to look at it, Luke 4, 5 through 7, because anytime Satan opens his mouth, he is lying because his native tongue is lies. He opens his mouth and he goes, if you bow down and worship me, and he shows him all the splendor of all the stuff on earth, kingdoms and glory, money, sex, power, rock and roll, the whole thing, and he goes, I'll give it all to you because it's mine to give. It's mine to give. But that's not true. He was never made the Lord of heaven or earth. He's a liar. But the kingdom, of, the kingdom of men, the kingdom of empire, the kingdom of hell is ruled by mine. 
The way of Jesus, or the way, the movement of the kingdom of heaven is, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. Think about the parable of the prodigal son. Dad, give me my inheritance now. You know, squanders it or loses it, depending on how you read it. Comes home, father is so rejoiced that his, that his lost or dead son is alive again. Huge banquet. The older son who never left and has been obedient and, you know, being helpful is frustrated outside. The father comes to him and goes, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. Or you think about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when he's being tempted. God, if there's any other way, would you take this cup? But, not my will, but yours. Be done. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Not, would you look at what they're doing to me? On and on and on. You will see that the kingdom of heaven is marked by all that I have is yours. God, who did not spare his own son. Um, So I'm thinking through this, this juxtapositioning of mine Versus all that I have is yours. And I'm, and I'm watching it in the Gospels um, just unfold with people um, responding. So you think about Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus, which you find, where is Zacchaeus? Luke 19. Um, Zacchaeus, you have this, this port city tax collector. Um, he's in Jericho, short guy, climbs a tree. Jesus is like, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight. Zacchaeus is so stoked. He's so stoked. Like, whatever makes a Jewish guy go into being a tax collector in the first place is hard to understand because it's literally like ratting out your own people. You're hated. You're immediately cut off from your family, which is a big deal back then. In his home, he gets up. He goes, here and now, I give half of all that I own away. And if I've cheated everybody, anybody, which is everybody, <laughs> I'm going to pay them back four times. And Jesus goes, um, we, a new, we've got a new son of Abraham or something. He says something like that. It's like, it's awesome. It's awesome. Like, you can see that God has taken up residence because of this beautiful action that's erupted out of this person. You see it happening in the book of Acts. I see it happening in my children at times. I'm watching this happen in the lives of my children when they're stingy or generous. I nip stinginess in the bud. I try and, I try and rejoice and champion generosity because I know that it will set them free. To not have little misers, little gremlin misers, like golems, who are like, golem, golem. I mean, can you imagine if your name was Dirty Cough? Your name was Dirty Cough. Golem. And, you're, and like that's, or like this picture in a George McDonald book called Lilith, where this woman is squeezing something so tightly that her fingernails grow into her hand. And it's just like, that is the picture of mankind without Christ, mine. Uh, my precious, and we make, we make trash our treasure. And Christ liberates us to see himself buried in the heart, in the skin of the other. That we would go, all that I have is yours. Um, some theologians think that the 13th apostle was the rich young ruler. Um, who's one of the only other people that just really specifically goes, you come and follow me. 
and he says no and walks away. Does anybody remember that? Where's that scene? Uh, let me see. Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Anybody remember how that plays out? You have this rich, I think he's handsome. I think he's probably fit. I think he's a young guy. He's got it all going. He's got, he's, he's got all the stuff available to him. And if you don't judge him too harshly, he seems like he's pretty dialed. Like he seems like he's not like a grandson or granddaughter of like the, Walt, of like the Walmart dynasty, which is like a total disaster. You got to talk to the tailors about it in Aspen. Because um, big money quickly ruins people. But little money grown over time builds character. Um, comes up, he bows before Jesus, takes the right posture, asks the right question, um, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus starts naming the Ten Commandments, but avoids the ones about, the four about God, names the six about other people and other stuff. And the guy's like, all these I've done since I was young. I've obeyed all these since I was young. And you're like, impossible, but... I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to, give a, I'm going to, I'm going to generously assume over your life. Um, and Jesus, it says in one of the Gospels, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he goes, one thing I need to talk to you about. One thing. I want you to sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then I want you to come and follow me. And um, the guy turns and walks away in front of a crowd. That is hard. When you came in, like looking for, and that is a big moment. Uh, I, you would have thought that at least he would have like lied about it and been like, yup, I, w- I will do that. And then he just moves to a different city for a few years and comes back and everybody forgot about it. He's like, I, I will do that. You, it's going to be crazy for the poor people in my town as soon as I get home. Um, but he doesn't. He just, he just looks sheepish and is so humbled by his because he loved his stuff. If you love, if I love my stuff, I will not end up still following Jesus. If I love my stuff, I will not end up still following Jesus at the end of all things. Because you cannot love God and money. You cannot serve two masters. And I am, I am more mastered by my love of stuff than I want to be. And generosity, breaking with it, breaking with it, is setting me free. It is setting me free. Um, okay. Because I have the questions like, who gives? Who gives? Who gives? Why do they give? And what happens? But before, because like who gives? You have all kinds of people who give in Scripture. People who are like, um, like Zacchaeus. It's just this response erupting out of him um, as a proof that like God has taken up residence in the early church. But then you also have that poor woman. Do you remember when Jesus is watching at the temple? He's watching the treasury. Where is that one? Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus is watching. He like sits down at the temple and is like watching people give gifts. And lots of people are throwing lots of money, and it kind of makes a loud noise. And one little woman comes with two little copper coins, and they just kind of tink their way in. And he calls his people to him, and he goes, everyone else is giving out of their wealth or out of excess. She, out of her poverty, just gave all that she had to live on. And he notices it. 
But he doesn't go, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you can't imagine. He just, he just leaves it at that. I think that she was taken care of because I know I'm learning more about the heart of God. But he doesn't go like, and I'm going to, he just says it. She gave more than everyone else. So don't, people will give out of their poverty also. Why did she give? Could have been the fear of the Lord. Could have been desperation because she read about the widow at Zarephath from the Elijah story who had nothing left. And Elijah goes, you will not run out. So she has nothing left and she goes, Lord, I need you. And desperation gives. Other people out of, out of thankfulness for excess or wealth might go, Lord, I give it back to you. I have multiple fields so I, I can sell one. And give the, there's lots of reasons why people give. But what happens when we live generously? When we obey the commands of Jesus or when we respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit or when we're looking for a way to just have something for my feet to do because I'm so thankful? Any of the reasons or out of desperation. What happens when people give? I think what happens is the consciousness of others is awakened toward the reality of God because it is so countercultural to the way of the world. I believe that generosity is one of the most profoundly compelling forms of evangelism available to us um, because I've tasted it. And you, you may have too if you think about it. Um, when somebody sees me when I'm in need, and they step in and meet my need, I experience something that words cannot do. Uh, my wife and I were in a season, we, we were in this season of kind of hardship around um, wanting to have children. And um, during that period, we had, to, we had to go through this medical thing that was like, it was like a, it was like a personal hell on earth. For us and we couldn't afford it so it was this hell on earth that we also were being given a bill for that far exceeded our ability to pay and one of my uh, friends heard about that and she cut a check for ten thousand dollars and just gave it to me and um, I just haven't felt so clearly that the Lord was like, I am stepping into this hell with you and I'm paying for it. Through her willingness to do that, I clearly heard the Lord say, I am with you in this hell and I am paying for it. Generosity awoke me in the middle of hell, my consciousness to the reality of God. Even there. Um, and I think we're supposed to be generous in a premeditated way. And I think we are supposed to be generous um, in an obedient, spontaneous way. Both. I think if we're not premeditated in our generosity, we're not giving enough. Personally, I'm just telling you this. And I think if I'm, if I'm only premeditated in my generosity, then I'm rarely responding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in live action. Here's what I mean by that. 
I look at how much I make with my wife, and I go, this is what we want to set aside around the things that we believe matter to us in our city, in the world, to give to on a monthly basis or a yearly basis, whatever. We want to give in this way because the Lord's blessed us, and we know he tells us to. And if I see somebody and their sign says, anything helps, I can't just quietly go, oh, well, we made a gift to the Fort Collins Rescue Mission, so go there for help. That's not, a, that's not a soft-hearted posture. It might be true, but the reality is that person also needs salt. This is, what, this, is, this is what God actually tastes like and light. So to roll down the window and go, what do you need? What do you need? I already on, pers- on purpose have purchased X amount of gift cards for whatever amount to the grocery store. What do you need? Would it be helpful if you had money for groceries? I, can meet, like, I think we're supposed to be premeditated in our generosity, and I think we're supposed to be spontaneously obedient in our generosity. I think the dance between those things um, keeps us in step with the Lord. Here is something that blows me away about Generosity. Did you know that at the judgment of all things, when God separates people in some way like sheep and goats and puts some on the right and some on the left, did you know that one of the litmus tests for how that all goes down is whether or not you bought somebody a cup of coffee or gave them a sandwich or gave them a flannel or had extra Tylenol? When I saw that, I've seen it before, but when I saw that, I was like, this is crazy. Where is it at? Matthew 25. Matthew 25. You, we know this, but I just wanted you to hear it again. Starting in verse 31. I'm going to read it. Just listen to the attention of heaven on the little things. Because sometimes you can go, oh, like, I'll be generous when I have much. Not okay. It's not okay. Or, oh, I don't have anything, so it's fine for me to, for, so it's fine for me to like, wait. No, wrong. We're, we're all called to be generous now. It's the way of Christ. It will change you because it is the way, it is the way of Jesus, and it will change the, the atmosphere of the place in which you inhabit. Your generous living erodes the gates of hell in other people's lives because it brings out the God taste. It salts and it lights their life when you see them and meet their need. Not mine, mine, but all that I have is yours. But listen to this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. It was, pre- it was prepared for you. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, not for me. All that I have is yours. I've been building this thing for you. It's been, so, and, then he, and this is what he says, verse 35. Because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink or a cup of water. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous one answered, Lord, 
when, when exactly do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when do we see you a stranger and invite you in? Close. When do we do all those things? Verse 40. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, because Jesus is Lord and Father over all. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. That is crazy. And literally to the other group, he's like, get away from me because, exact same list, you didn't do these things. You didn't meet me buried in the heart of a stranger, buried in the heart of a prisoner, tucked away in the flesh of a person experiencing homelessness, tucked, whatever it is, whatever it is. You didn't do it. And I was right there. That is awesome and a little bit concerning at all at the same time. One of the verses that I have memorized is from Proverbs. Proverbs is an incredible book to, for me to study and learn about when it comes to wealth, wealth management, generosity, etc. The words of a father to a son, do this and you'll be wise. Memorize what I say and do it and you'll be wise. And I'm like, I need that because I'm an idiot and I'm trying to grow in wisdom. I'm a person who trends towards folly and I want to trend towards wisdom. I'm stingy. I want to move towards generosity. But it says, if you ignore the cries of the poor, you too will cry out and your cries will go unanswered. It also says all kinds of stuff about the generous being blessed. Because I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but you give something to someone who asks. They have need, you give it to them. 90% of the time, you know what I hear when I do that? God bless you. You know who's listening? Lord and Father over all. And I think he honors the little that they can give in response to what I can give. Proverbs isn't a magic book. It's just a book of like, live this way, and likely life will trend this way. It's not a magic book, though. Um, okay. Um, the, the phrase about generosity awakening the conscience of God in others is taken from, just, so you, just in case that sticks out to you, that came up twice from two random people as I was prepping for this. It's an interesting translation from Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. What Proverbs 25, 21, and 22 says in my translation is, um, give to your enemy, feed, feed your enemy, and in doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head, and you'll be rewarded, which sounds super intense. It's like, oh, hey, if you're kind to your enemy, you will literally give them second and third degree burns, and God will reward you. So I think this unique translation is better, is better, because that is more like, I'm like, but it's the kindness of God that leads us towards repentance. So of course God is commanding me to be kind towards my enemy that they might not have an excuse from waking up towards the goodness of God buried in me towards them. Um, okay, I have no idea where I'm at on the timeline right now. Um, but I know that generosity is, I'm, I'll tell one more story. This, I was in the Middle East with Jason Swain and, the, and some other guys in here. Connor Patterson was there. Uh, Dylan, who doesn't come to church anymore, he was there. Um, uh, no, 
okay. I was looking at DMAC. I was like, were you there with me? Um, we, were in the, we were in the Middle East. We were doing like a scouting trip to see if it was possible to take college to the Middle East because I don't know anything. And it was great. We're coming. We're, we're in a little city called Ephraim, which is, um, I can't remember exactly where it was, but we're walking back from this restaurant at like midnight. Uh, there's 18 military-age males. All of us are just look like me, a bunch of white guys with beards and stuff, which, you know, you know. We stick out a little bit over there. We're all walking back from this restaurant. We're in high spirits. We're walking down the middle of the street. And we're probably being classic Americans in that we're being probably loud and thoughtless about anybody else who's trying to sleep. Because I don't know. if I, I can't remember if there was wine or not at the meal. I doubt it. But it was, it was great. Walking back, there's, an, there's an, um, um, a Middle Eastern man sitting on his stoop in his courtyard. And he is a butcher. And he's just sitting up. And... As he sees us coming up the street, he comes out and he goes, he, it's, it's, like, it's like 11 or 12 at night. And he goes, come, 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 my friends, come. And at first I was like, this feels weird. <laughs> like, this feels like, nah, thank you. But like, we're good. Like, I don't know you. But he was so adamant. And our bus driver um, who spoke the language, which I'm sure, Connor, I don't know where you are. It was probably Arabic. Um, somebody help me. Um, I think that's what the language was. Um, is like, no, let's go sit with him. And so we're, we all go into his courtyard, and we sit down. He sends someone to wake up his nephew, who's asleep, to go and run and buy us a crap ton of falafels. Um, and he starts brewing tea, a really great tea, over what I would call a Middle Eastern jet boil. Um, but like a harder to work with one that takes longer and makes less. And so he's making us tea and he's laughing and talking to us. And we are all like dying laughing. We cannot, there's a huge language gap between us and him. But he is going so hard in the paint. Like we are super full. We have eaten a lot. And he is like, no, no, no. And like he is literally shoving falafel in people's mouths. And he's walking us over to his goat pen and he's like teaching, trying to kind of talk to us about like who's going to die tomorrow and like how it's all going to go. Uh, he makes a joke about Donald Trump that was hilarious um, because it was such a short joke. It was just a hilarious joke. He named one of his goats Donald. Another one was named Trump. And he goes, one of them dies tomorrow. And that's all he said. And it was like, so that was the joke. And um, his, his liberality, his generosity out of nowhere with us absolutely eradicated anything that stood between us. It absolutely helped me to finally understand um, why hospitality and generosity is such a huge part of these early Abrahamic religions. When you think about Judaism or even um, Islam, hospitality is a huge part of those cultures because of the way they watched Father Abraham live. And it's so effective in communicating, you matter. I see you. You are welcomed here. You are loved. It is, it, I, I deeply believe um, that as America continues to trend towards post-post-Christian, that generosity for, for me and for us is going to be one of the most compelling, provocative forms of sharing the gospel with our actions and with words when necessary. Um, I want to close with 
Because um, if I don't close, I'm just going to keep talking. Um, and so I'm going to read from Psalm 112. Um, so you can read that with me. It's, it's a great psalm. It's kind of like Psalm 1, just talking about the blessings and the reality of living in the way of Christ and how that all flows and works. But I'm going to read Psalm 112. But one thing I'll say, Jason oftentimes says stuff like, um, forgive people, forgive people. Or blessed people, blessed people, and all that kind of thing. I think one of the other reasons I'm certain that generosity saturates every pore of heaven is because when you look at what mercy is, mercy is simply generosity within the law. Mercy, because you can't be merciful unless there's a verdict. So mercy is simply liberality or generosity within the law. Forgiveness is generosity within wrongdoing. Within wrongdoing, you have wronged me. I release you. And I, as I was thinking about that, I was like, it goes, I can, you can almost do, I can't do that with every one of the, I tried to do it with every single one of the fruit of the Spirit, but I couldn't. I couldn't like do it without like really making, but I just was starting to think, like, generosity pervades heaven. Um, and it, we learned that Jesus said, not through the Gospels, but through Acts, in Acts 20, 25, I think. Um, it is better to give than to receive. They're quoting back, looking back on Jesus. If I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's where we hear Jesus say that. Somebody else is remembering his words, and, the, and the, it's not captured for us. But if I struggle with joy, the two things that I know that I do practice, I'm not telling you I'm generous yet, but I practice. I practice gratitude, and I practice generosity. I practice gratitude because I want to eradicate anxiety from my life. I practice generosity because I want to be wildly alive and joyful. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's better to give than it's better to, it's better to give than to receive. I'm trending in that direction, but I still think I wear shoes that are stingy. I think my first response is like a squeaky, stingy step. It's like, and then I have to be like, oh yeah, that's, that's not. Um, so, Psalm 112. Psalm 112. Hey guys, hey team, thanks for, good to see you. All right. Praise the Lord, or Hallelujah. Blessed is the man or woman, the person who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. That person's children will be mighty in the land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his or her home, and that person's righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man or woman. Good will come to the person who is generous and lends freely, who conducts their affairs with justice. Surely, they will never be shaken. A righteous woman will be remembered forever. She will have no fear of bad news. Her heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. For the righteous man, his heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. These people, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked man will see and be vexed. What are you doing? He will gnash his teeth and waste away. 
because the longings of the wicked come to nothing. I want to live and walk in the way of Jesus. I want to be devoted to the word. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be devoted to the fellowship of the breaking of the bread, which is Thanksgiving. I want, I, and I, but that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. We're called and invited to practice generosity. You cannot outgive God. One of the only places in Scripture where it says where the Lord is okay with us testing Him is give. Malachi 3. Give. And see if I don't knock your socks off with my ability to backfill your barns. Try me. Everywhere else, don't test me. This one place, try me. So all I would say is, for all of us where we are, the five loaves and two fish that we have is plenty. It's plenty. And why we give comes from a lot of different places. But that we ought to respond and give is clear. And we rob only ourselves if we continue to live in a kingdom mindset of mine versus all that I have is yours. Father, thanks for the way that you are generous with us. Thank you for your provision over our lives. Your mercy, your forgiveness, your grace. Would you continue to prompt in me and in us a right response of all that I have is yours. Lifting my eyes off of what I don't have to see what I might give. Father, would you set us free? We look to you. Help us to fall more in love with you. Amen.